Good morning, ladies. You are all very brave to come out on this lovely day. <laughs> For the thing that Don said this morning, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So we need to be thankful that we can be together. It's wonderful to see you all. It's just really refreshing, to be honest with you, to, to have you come here and hear your voices and um, just to have some people contact once in a while is really nice. So let's open um, with a word of prayer this morning, and then we'll get right to the lesson. Jesus, we thank you that we can be here. Thank you for this day that you have made for us. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just be in charge here this morning, that you would lead us, guide us, just teach us from your word, help us to have open hearts to what all of this means for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, um, if you have your outlines, I think I put this on there, maybe I didn't, um, about purity and pure, pureness. So how do you define, in your minds, just think of this, how do you define purity? How do you define something that's pure? And what synonyms do you use? Anybody, just kind of call out, what are some synonyms for pure or purity? Plain? Clean. Clean and plain also is one, just without anything other than the item itself. What else for purity? Without blemish. Without mixture. We're going to be talking about these during the lesson because the Bible talks about um, having a pure heart. Um, I'm going to have you just take a look at this. This is the beatitude that we're going to be doing today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we're going to kind of break it down again into three different parts at least. We're going to look at what it means to be pure, to be pure in heart, and um, what the heart is too, because this lesson deals with the heart. God's talking about how pure our heart is. We want to talk about that. And then what it will mean for us to see God. Um, I want to have you think about this question. Is your heart pure before God? And what we're going to see in the lesson is that if you know the Lord, your heart is pure before God. He has cleansed you from every sin. And that's forever. But our daily walk might reflect something different. And that's what we're going to talk about today also. God has declared us pure, without blemish. And in Psalm, I think it's 103, he says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And so when he looks at us, he sees us through the holiness of Jesus Christ. And if you think about that, it's a huge, it's a huge thing to think about. Cannot really get your hands around it at all or your mind. But that's what we're going to be talking about. Ivory soap is how many percent pure? 99 and 44 one hundredths pure, and it doesn't cut it. It's not pure. Pure is unmixed and unalloyed. We'll be talking about those words um, in, in just a bit. So I want you to um, take your Bibles, and we're going to take a look at some scripture verses to start us off, first of all. Um, and we need to remember, of course, that purity then is all 
or nothing. You're all pure. You have one dot, one blot, changes it. A chemist will tell you that. A physical science teacher will tell you that. The Bible tells you that. Okay? So um, this beatitude really con challenges us. And, and believe me, to try to study, to teach this was very challenging. Michelle and I have both been challenged in our studying. Um, you cannot actually read enough or study enough to, to satisfy all of the things that are in these lessons, and we try to distill them down. But um, we want to talk about the fact that, that the Bible emphasizes our purity of heart because this is really the essence of Christianity. And man has a sin problem. So God came to purify our hearts from all sin. I want you to start out, first of all, by um, turning in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to just take a look at a few verses, and you'll be hopping through your Bibles for a little bit here, and then we'll um, go through some of the other parts of the lesson. <clears throat> so think of it this way. Man has a sin problem, and purity of heart is what God desires within us. So Isaiah 1, 18, familiar verse, for some of you at least, it says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be as wool. Think of these things as you think of purity. Um, turn all the way over then to Hebrews 9, 14. Quite a few verses that we're going to be looking at throughout the whole uh, lesson this morning, so we'll try to um, help you along with that. Hebrews 9, 14. It says this, How much more then... Well, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself unblemished to God. Now remember, unblemished on our behalf. How shall Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself unblemished to God, how shall he cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death, <clears throat> so that we might serve the living God, an unblemished Savior, was what we needed to make us unblemished. And then uh, down to Titus 3.5. You're going to get a workout this morning. <laughs> Titus 3.5 says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared... He saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. We have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, another verse will say, and then renewed um, by the Holy Spirit within us. In other words, we have been born again of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, this beatitude and all of them force us to consider our heart condition before God. 
This one, as I was studying, continually took me back, almost in a circle, back to the very beginning. And if you study these, you'll see that. You think that you have arrived at one point, that you're righteous before God, and then something comes into your life, and all of a sudden you find out that your righteousness slips, not before God in his accounting, but in our daily living. The same with purity of heart. I might start out with the best of motives, and then something happens during my day, and all of a sudden, my heart isn't so pure anymore. And so these Beatitudes challenge us and bring us back, really, to the beginning where I realize my poverty of spirit, and I have to go back to God and say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. And then, again, I begin to mourn at my helplessness to keep myself from sin. It takes God to keep me from sinning. And I say like Paul did, oh, wretched man, oh, wretched woman that I am, who shall deliver me from the bondage of this death? Only Jesus Christ can do it. And then that will take me then to meekness, where I have to yield my independent spirit to the Lord. And I recognize I cannot do it on my own. And then I think a little sigh of relief because we have a solution in the fourth beatitude, which are which is um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And I do, for they shall be filled. And that corresponds again to the beginning um, of the of the beatitudes that we have. We, we long to be filled because we know that we do not have anything without the Lord. And so as we fill our hearts, then the Lord calls us to be merciful. That's the next beatitude that Michelle talked about last week. God calls us to be merciful to those around us. And we look at people in a new way. And then this next one presents a challenge. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Even trying to be merciful to someone, I find out that I intend to be merciful, but that person has a little habit that I don't like so well, and all of a sudden my mercy ratio skips. <laughs> and I have to find out that I need the Lord to keep me pure. And so, do you see what I'm talking about? It's a cycle. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not getting anywhere. We are getting somewhere. Those wheels keep turning round and round, but they move us forward. And each one of those times that we go back to God, we go back using what we've learned and take another step. And the Lord is gracious to us so that even though we slip, we can go back to that beginning point and say, Lord, I need you. I'm not what I ought to be. So we'll look at what this means to learn about righteousness and what God demands of us. But to do that, we have to look at the condition of our hearts. And we're going to spend some time doing that because when we look in the Bible, we see that the Lord talks a lot about man's heart. Um, I have some references on your outlines, and I'm going to just read some of these, and some of them I'm going to direct you to. But the Bible clearly talks about man's heart condition. He, it defines it over and over and over again. So 1 Samuel 16, 7, 
we learn this. The Lord does not look at the things a man looks at on the outward appearance. While the man looks at the outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart. God wants to see what the condition of the heart is. Remember when he used that verse in, in choosing King David, the Lord does not look at the outward appearance of what men are like, but he looks at the condition of the heart. Um, the next verses I have are from Matthew. If you want to turn over in your Bibles to Matthew 15, we'll start with that one. And this is Jesus talking. And he's talking, of course, about the religious leaders in the synagogues. And he says to them, um, let me look at um, verse 7, first of all. He says to them, you hypocrites. See, if you're a hypocrite, there's impurity there. Two-sidedness, okay? You hypocrites, Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, God looks at the heart. They have, they sound good. They honor God with their lips and they say nice things, but God looks at the heart and sees that there's problems. Then over to Matthew chapter 23. This whole chapter deals with the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, now, this, some of this should be on your outlines, not up on the screen. But Matthew 23, 25, um, I think I'll take you all the way down to 28. Let's just read that. And again, he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says, woe to you. And in this chapter, there's seven different woes that he labels the, the Pharisees with the religious leaders. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, so you look good. But the inside, on, a, on the inside, they are full of greed and indulgence, self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish. The Lord looks at the heart. And then the outside also will be clean. And then he goes on and he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, that word a lot. You hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Not a great description of Christian leaders, is it? you scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. And it is a call to us to watch how we live, to live in the righteousness of God, not just in outward behavior. Because we'll find out also in Scripture that out of the heart, the mouth speaks, and the Lord knows what's in our hearts. Um, I'm not going to take time to look this up, but Jeremiah 17, 9 says, you're familiar with this, I think, the heart is deceitful above all things, but desperately wicked who can know it. So the Lord is concerned about the heart. 
We're going to spend time talking about the fact that the heart is the center of God's relationship with man. And um, I wanted to have you think about this little diagram, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But the heart, let me just say this again, the heart is the center of God's relationship with mankind, our hearts. The gospel of Jesus Christ is centered upon the condition of the heart. So we need to have an understanding of what is meant by the term the heart in Scripture. Romans 10, uh, verses 9 and 10, let me see if, let's just look those up, okay? Romans 10, 9 and 10. Do I have them on your outline? They're on your outline. Sorry about that. Let's just read them. It says, if you declare with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth you confess and are saved. So we need to talk about the heart. If the Lord is working in our heart, we need to think about what it is exactly. We know what our physical heart is, but when the Lord talks about the heart, and it's okay if we think about the Spirit of God centered there, it's not the red throbbing organ that we're talking about here, but it is that deep part of us, deep within us, deep within, and it's a spiritual thing, deep within our very spirits that is our heart. It's what God calls the innermost man. The Bible talks about it, the the new man, the natural man. So when we look at man, we look at man as as God created him, body, soul, and spirit. And the Bible talks about man being a three-part body, three-part being, okay? The spirit of man, let's talk about it without Christ, and with Christ. The spirit of man is where God works. He comes into your spirit if you're a believer. And he comes into your very innermost being and he takes control. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for our entire being. And Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I But Christ, where does Christ live? He lives in what we call the heart. But it is our innermost being, it's that part of us that lights us up. Man has a spirit, a human spirit. Without God, that human spirit is totally in control of himself. Now, when Adam was created, he was created in the image and likeness of God and filled with the image and likeness of God, filled with God's spirit. When he sinned, the spirit of God departed. And he was left physically alive, but spiritually dead. And until we know Jesus as our savior, the spirit of God does not live in us, but our human spirit still lives. And the human spirit together with the soul, are the immaterial part of man. They live in our body. My body houses 
my soul, and my spirit. We can't divide them. They're indivisible. And the spirit works upon the soul and through the soul controls the body. Do you have a personality? If you're in charge of it, it's your personality and sometimes you're not so nice. But once you become a believer, the Lord comes into your spirit and changes you. And he works through your soul to change your mind, your will, your emotion. He changes all of your behavior from inside out. So the heart is the dwelling place of God himself within our spirits. And when Jesus died, he died as a sacrificial lamb for every part of us. Body, soul, and spirit. This is a lot to be thinking about, but I want you to get an idea of what God does within us when he comes to live in us. When you are born again, you're born again of the Spirit of God. When you're a believer, the Spirit of God comes to live in you, in that empty space, in that spirit that was left empty when God departed long ago in the Garden of Eden. And that Spirit of Jesus Christ comes to live within us. Okay? So it's the spirit that motivates us, and the heart becomes the dwelling place of God. And you can picture it as your heart, or you can picture it as that most inner, inner place of you that nobody can quite fathom. But it's the thing that makes you what you are. When God dwells in it, you become Christ-like. That's his goal. When God dwells in it, you have a righteous heart. When God dwells in it, he makes you pure. Okay? So let's just go on from there. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. All right, Ephesians 4, 22. The Apostle Paul talks about this. And the Bible talks about your heart in this way also. I'm going to start up in verse 20 just to give you a little context here. It says, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. He says, surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, that old nature that lives within us before we know Jesus Christ. And that old nature was put on the cross, crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I have a new nature living in me. Not I, but Christ lives in me now. Okay? It says, you were taught to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self, the Holy Spirit, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on what Christ has done for you. And in this context, it's almost like a piece of clothing. Put on Christ so that your life then reflects who he is. So, this is what God means when he talks about the heart, your most innermost part. 
working out of you. Because remember it says, for it is God who works within you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He works for me in here. And I, I always think of it being my beating heart. But I know that deep inside of me is a place where God lives. And he inhabits all of me if I yield myself to him. He inhabits body, soul, and spirit. But it starts in the heart. So when you see spirit sometimes, you can think of it as being your heart. It's that place where God dwells within you. Okay? Questions? I see shaking heads. Anybody? Sandy. All right. So I, that will take a, a long time, but let me give you a short course. Soul and spirit. All right? Think of the spirit being inside. Outside of it is the soul. Mind, will, emotion. Those things that you outwardly see of my personality, together they make up your personality. The spirit is the living, throbbing being of God or of your own spirit. You all have a human spirit. All right? You know that you do. And it lives on after death, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever. The spirit is in you. If Christ is in you, the spirit is life, we're told in Romans. Okay? So that spirit of God then becomes the trigger for your behavior, if you allow him to. So he takes over your mind, your will, your emotions, your body, your personality, as you yield to him. In the Bible... In Hebrews 4, it talks about the word of God is quick and powerful, mighty, quicker than any two-edged, sharper than any two-edged sword, even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit. And it is um, powerful. And the word of God works on your spirit, feeds it, so that your spirit then comes into obedience with God, triggers your soul to behave, and your soulish nature comes in, into conformity with the Lord. Now, that's a long class. And I, I studied that for a long time before I taught a whole series about it. But that's, that's a short course. That the Lord lives within your heart. Think of it as your spirit. They're joined together, indivisible, soul and spirit. They live on after death. But if you're a believer... You're with the Lord. Now, you'll have questions I probably can't even answer, so we better go on from there. <laughs> now, yes, Linda. Yes. Even though that old nature was crucified with Christ, it still raises its ugly head in us until the Lord comes or until we die and we're, we're taken into heaven or until the Lord comes <clears throat> and transforms us. That old nature, I often think of it as living right alongside of my new nature. And here it is, and the Bible presents it that way, as doing battle. My old nature wants its way all the time, and God asks me then to yield to him so his resurrection life can live inside of me. 
That, does that help? That's what we're talking about. That old nature does live in us, fights with us. And that's why sometimes our righteousness becomes unrighteousness, not in God's eyes, but in our behavior. That's why he's calling these religious leaders hypocrites, because they're living after the old nature. Johnny. Okay. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes, Jan said, think of it as your essence, who you are, who God made you to be. And what he does when his Holy Spirit comes in, he brings you back to what he intended you to be in the very beginning before sin ever, ever entered the world. He has plans for us we don't even know of yet for us individually. But he wants to work out his holiness in our lives. So when we talk about the heart, we're talking about a, a living being that God wants to work with and to um, have his way with us. He wants to control our lives, to make us all that he intended man ever to be when he created him. And that will be what, what happens to us when we meet him in heaven. We will be as God meant for us to be. But in the meantime, we are to strive toward holiness and righteousness in him. So now we need to talk about purity of heart. Um, this is what the Beatitude says. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want you to think about this. Because what it is saying is only those who are pure in heart, only those who are pure in heart are blessed with the promise of seeing God. Think about it. And only those who will see God are pure in heart. Got it? You see, what happens here is that's an impossible assignment for me. I cannot, try as I might, be pure in heart. I need the Lord. I can't do it on my own. No matter how I try, I have the best intentions. And before I have my coffee in the morning, I really you know, have to look at the condition of my whole being. <laughs> so let's look at what it is to be pure of heart. First of all, it is a heart that is cleansed. And we've talked about the cleansing that the Lord Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. I want you to turn to another verse because I think these verses help put all of this in context for us. First uh, Peter 1, 18 and 19 if you'll look that up. You see, because the Lord has cleansed us, we can be pure in heart. He wants to motivate us to be pure in heart, step by step. So 1 Peter 1, 18. A heart that is cleansed, it says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed with 
from the empty way of life that was handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was redeemed in these last times for your sake. You see, we were handed sin. We were born into it. But we were redeemed from what we were given in the first place by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without spot, without blemish, and his blood has been applied on our behalf. So that when God says to us, be righteous, be pure, it's his righteousness that is being applied. And we are that now. He wants us to become that in our daily lives, but he has accounted us righteous, pure before him. When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and we go back to him and ask for cleansing. And it is a continual cleansing. He doesn't cleanse you once, and oops, you're messed up. It's a continual cleansing. There is a fountain filled with blood that cleanses us forever. So, first of all, it's a heart that's cleansed. The other thing we need to know, there's a couple of things here. It is a single heart, meaning singleness of heart. I want you to turn to Matthew 6.22. I think this is going to be a long lesson. I have to hurry here. <laughs> Matthew 6. This says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and hate the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon or money. Singleness of heart, single-eyed, so that all you see is God. Over in Matthew 5, 29, <clears throat> listen to this. This is how much God wants us to have a single eye for him. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. Pretty drastic. For it's better you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Single heart is what God desires of us. Take my heart, O oh God, make it ever true. Take my heart, O oh God, may it be like you. Single. I don't serve two masters. I may sin from time to time, and if I sin a lot, I really have a problem, but God is always to be before my face, and I can go back to him. All right, the next thing that we want to see here 
is it's a heart that wills one thing. I'm going to have you turn back to Psalm 86. Verses 11 and 12. Now, God wants us to be cleansed, to have singleness of heart, one eye focused upon him, both eyes focused. And he wants us then to have an undivided heart or a unified heart. Let's look at this verse. It says, teach me your way, O Lord, and I, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O my Lord, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. One of the translations uses the word um, a, a unified heart. This one uses the undivided heart. Give me an undivided heart so that I serve you, O Lord. Um, just as an example... What God's looking for, if we were to take the whole law and the prophets, from Matthew 22, 37 through 40, the verse is, and you know him, you know both verses, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, every part of your being. And as you yield yourself to the Lord in that unified behavior, he will enable you to love your neighbor as yourself, your neighbor that you maybe didn't like. But as you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, you're brought under his authority and you see the love that he has for you and that he has for your neighbor. And somehow those barriers fall. I'm sure some of you have had that happen. If you walk in obedience to the Lord. So these are things that God wants us to put into practice, thinking about how he has made us, how he wants us to yield to the new man within the new nature, Christ Jesus, so that he can pour his grace through us. Because what we need to see is that a pure heart is ours only by an act of God's grace. I cannot do it. No amount of ivory soap is going to ever cleanse my heart. No amount of training myself intellectually no amount of education will clean me, make me whole, as Jesus wants to. So having a pure heart is something that God has already done for us, declared you pure, and now wants you to enable, allow him to enable you to walk in purity and in holiness. Um, I just want to take a, a couple of verses here that I think will just, again, accentuate what we've been talking about. 
And I'll just read some of these before we wrap it up here. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works within you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Lord, I want to walk out my salvation. I want to live it out. I need you to work your work in me. And he has promised to do that. He will work holiness in you. Um, Hebrews 10, 14. It says this, By one sacrifice, Christ has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's a really encouraging verse. It's Hebrews 10, 14. Listen to what it says again. By one sacrifice, Jesus Christ has made perfect. If you know the Lord, made you perfect forever. Those of us who are being made holy, declared holy, being made holy. And then a couple more here. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 25. It says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify or set you apart, sanctify you through and through. May your whole body, soul, and spirit be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God's going to keep you. The one who calls you, the Lord Jesus Christ, is faithful to do it. He will keep you blameless before him. And then this is the last one. These last two you've heard as benedictions at the end of a servant. So Jude 23, there's only one chapter in Jude, Jude 23. I love this verse. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his glorious presence. It's all of God. I'm going to turn to that and make sure I've got the whole verse here. Jude 23. It's a great benediction. And we can close with it. <clears throat> to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and evermore. Amen. So I think I'll just close with that and, and I'll close with a further word of prayer. As far as your, your books, keep on working through them. I wanted to mention, I know that your um, John Stott talked about purity and, and um, sincerity being joined together. And again, I taught it from a little different angle, but if you think about it, sincerity really is 
the sum of what our behavior ought to display. If we're yielded our, yielding ourselves to the Lord and he is single-heartedly, and, and we are single-minded and single-heartedly following him, our behavior will be sincere. It's another translation of what we've been talking about today. So let's just um, close now with a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, we thank you that it is you that keeps us from falling. And it is you that enables us to continue to walk here on earth so that one day you can present us faultless before you so that we will see you in glory. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.